Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. They're not the good guys. They're not the bad guys. They're the other guys. Wait, wait, wait. Who the heck are these guys? This is the Finishing Move, the Other Guys podcast. With your hosts, the bearded wrestling fan, Chris Colwell. And Finishing Move intern, David Holloway. They're breaking down all the latest in professional wrestling. And they're not just covering the big guys. They're covering the other guys, too. It's the Finishing Move, the Other Guys podcast, and it begins now. Again, though, who the heck are these guys? Hello, wrestling fans, nerds, marks, and smarks all around the Finishing Move universe. This is another edition of the Other Guys podcast. I am Chris Colwell, the Bearded Wrestling fan. Follow me at Bearded Colwell on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by the guy that slips by security. He's got more responsibility as an intern than any intern in the history of all interns in radio, he is the, let's see, he's been proclaimed as the NXT expert by my fellow uh, co-host on the Finishing Move live show, Road Dog and Big John. He's been the NXT expert there. He's also self-proclaimed AEW aficionado, whatever that's supposed to mean. But to me, he's just the intern at the Finishing Move. He's David Holloway. What's up, buddy? Not much, man. Good to be back. And also, I'll tell you what, I'm like a ninja, man. These guys can't catch me. Man. <laughs> I'm like Akira Tozawa in this mother, man. They, I just slip right past uh, everybody, undetected. Do we really have to talk about Akira Tozawa's... I like Tozawa, man. He just uh, Hey, me. I'm a Tozawa fan. I liked him when he was going after the Cruiserweight title. I don't mean the, the whole ninja thing With is the whole Titus Worldwide thing? You're talking the about, Titus or? Worldwide thing was entertaining, yeah. but, but what he's doing now is just kind of like, really? Eh. I still find it funny. Well, I mean, it can be entertaining and everything, but I mean, we're all pretty sure that that super gigantic ninja he had at that one point. That was AJ Styles. Is AJ dude, Styles yep. heavy now. Yeah, that what was. It, yep. Jordan, whatever you say. Is I don't even time. know how to say it, man. Yeah, it's such a Big long John name. took a, a stab at it last week on the finishing move, and I mean, we didn't really fault him for giving a shot at it because none of us really know how to pronounce it. Was, it, so. it was also the bouncer in Raw Underground, too, I think. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, I think well, he was. R.I.P. Underground. I liked, co- I liked it. I don't know why it's got so much hate at first. I, I didn't, thought it was pretty entertaining. I didn't like it to start with, but I, I saw the purpose of it. And then when Braun Strowman killed it, I saw yeah. no purpose in it. It was They just killed it off like it didn't matter anymore. So yeah. that's normally we don't get into that kind of stuff on this show because we are the other guys. We talk about the other guys. We're the alternative. We are the NXT of the finishing move family of shows such as the Dark Matches podcast and the live show, which you can hear every Thursday on Extra 106.3 in Atlanta in the Cobb County area in Georgia. Uh, also online at Extra, or uh, yeah, Extra1063.com and the Extra 106.3 app. And uh, podcast, man. Find them at Podcast Park and on all your podcast providers. But enough of the plugging of While all McFoley of our stuff. finishes up his cheap pop over here, we're going to get into the real talk. So we're going to talk right here about wrestling right here in the studio. On the other guy's podcast. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. All right. Well, we talked a lot on last week's show. We pretty much 
covered AEW start to finish because we broke down the full gear pay-per-view, which we both agreed was a great show. But now we've kind of moved past that. We didn't really get a lot into NXT, and there's been a lot of development on NXT the last few weeks. We'll start right off the bat, the big new stable that has formed. We've talked about you know how they came together. It was It's uh, Pat McAfee leading the group along with Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch and as well as now Pete Dunn, who's back from the U.K. They didn't have a name when we uh, last we talked about him. Now they do. They're calling themselves the Kings of NXT. And it looks like they're headed for a big war, perhaps in war games, the next takeover against the Undisputed Era. All I can say is just give me, give me, give me, give me, because I am all about that matchup right there. Undisputed Era just seems to always find themselves in the war games match, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you what, that's where they belong, though. A four a four man stable like that just belongs in a in a match of that caliber. And now that you got hard hitters like Oni Lorcan, Pete Dunn, and Danny Birch on the same team, oh man, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a brawl. And plus, Pat McAfee, he can go too. I can, I'm kind of excited to see if he'll pull off what Adam Cole did on the first war games when he jumped off the top of the of mm-hmm. the cage. And the mm-hmm. fans are chanting, please don't die. <laughs> I just want to see that hard-hitting action. And I think right. this is the right team to do it. Although I will say this, I think the Kings of NXT kind of sounds a little cheesy to me. I think that's a little too obvious, if that makes any sense to me. You know what? It, it, on one hand, you could say that. I, I don't know. It kind of rolls off the tongue. I mean, it could have been worse. You could call them retribution or something stupid like that. Thank goodness it's not that. But, yeah, thank God you know, that. Undisputed Era... You know, you talked about they've been in literally every war games that there has been so far, and really the reason behind that is because they very much are the four horsemen, so to speak, of NXT. They are the four-man group that has dominated, you know, the four horsemen were always the heel team in war games opposite, you know, the the babyface team that was usually a hodgepodge of different people, Dusty Rhodes, the Road Warriors, you know, uh, I was going to say Magnum TA, but I think he'd already had his car wrecked by then. But, you know, Barry Windham was on the other team before he was a horseman. Lex Luger was in there. I mean, you know, that's kind of the way it was, and it just makes sense. You need that team to go up against the Undisputed Era, who now, for the first time in the concept of this match, will find themselves positioned as the baby faces, which should be interesting because they've always been that team to go in there, of course, the heel team you know, because it makes sense, always gets the coin toss flip. They always get the advantage. Now they're going to be the team on the other side of that. It's going to be interesting to see them play the other side of that. You know what's going to find interesting is if you notice at the end of NXT, Drake Maverick came in to avenge mm-hmm. uh, Killian Dane after he was taken out by those guys, and he got laid out along with Brizongo. I wonder where they're going to fit in in this whole thing because Undisputed Era is still recovering from their from their storyline injuries. Right. And we still have this thing going on with Brizongo and Drake Maverick. And when Killian Dane comes back, we're going to probably see an eight-man tag with those guys. This will probably be like a main a main event of NXT kind of thing. Right. But I'll tell you what, I think that this is that's a good way to get these four over. This is a yes. good way to get them over before you face them off against a big group like Undisputed Era. And Brizongo being a well-established tag team and these guys, Drake Maverick and Killian Dane, for being like just butting out as a tag team themselves... I think this would be a good opportunity as well to have Dane turn on Maverick, and that in that way you kind of get another little feud going on after that when they're done with this after that little eight man tag, and then Maverick and and Dane go at it, and then that'll probably just end up with Dane on top. But yeah, this is a good <laughs> I little would hope so. Yeah, I would hope so too. But yeah, this is a good little stepping stone for this the this new foursome to go up against the undisputed era. Yeah, no, that's that's really what they're going to be used for in this situation. You you just know it's going to be, and I wouldn't be surprised. I think the takeover events either the first Saturday or the first Sunday, rather. I forgot those are on Sunday now. Sunday in 
December, maybe the second one. So maybe the NXT prior to that. Maybe you hold off the Undisputed Era making their return until the last episode of NXT prior to the pay-per-view. And by then, Kings of NXT, they've beaten this other random teaming of Brizongo and Dane and Maverick. Now they're looking strong. Now they're proclaiming that the Undisputed Era are done. We've taken them out of the company. Boom, here comes the Undisputed Era. They're back. Now we get the big matchup. But, you know, moving out of that, you mentioned how, you know, you see Dane and Maverick kind of being a few. You know what? I like the idea of where this this, uh, very odd couple tag team could go. I wouldn't be surprised to see them be a team for for the foreseeable future. This would be like a little an NXT version of Team Hell No. It'd be like a small, so. like a smaller Daniel Kane Bryan and, and Kane. And yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what though, if they go the same direction as Team Hell No, I'd be all for it because I was a huge fan of Team Hell No Hug back when they were together. Hug it out. Oh my Hug gosh, it. that was so funny. If they I brought Doctor Shelby back or, to be the manager. That'd be great. That would be. <laughs> God. And if you were just like to freak out like you would whenever. They were teaming up with the Rhodes Scholars. That was a fun little feud. But my favorite part is like when they would say, I'm the tag team champions. I'm the tag team champions. No, I'm the tag team champions. They just keep going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth with the belts. And just that that team, they were just so random, yet they just worked so well together. Mm -hmm. It was just so well done. I mean, normally I'm not a fan of that kind of thing, but they were just so well. They just worked so well together. I won me over. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's one of those things. That I, the odd couple pairings a lot of times work. Booker T and Gold Dust. I mean, just to, to name a few, like I said a minute ago, Kane and X-Pac, they just tend to gel, and it just, you know, the more opposite they are and the more they seem like they would clash, something about just the way it works. It's entertaining and it works, and, and, and long-term it ends up being uh, for the better. But moving out of that, obviously it looks like we're headed for Undisputed Era, Kings of NXT, War Games, the next takeover. They haven't officially announced it, so we – Keep speculating on this, assuming that the next takeover, which if it ain't War Games, then it's takeover, I guess, 32, because the last one was 31. So, yeah, sounds uh, right. so it's probably going to be War Games. So, uh, but along with that, a lot going on elsewhere in NXT. Uh, just recently, you know, we've been building up to this big women's championship match. We've been waiting for a while for Rhea Ripley to finally get her title shot after she lost at WrestleMania to Charlotte Flair, and then in the triple threat rematch where Io Shirai actually won the title back at uh, In Your House TakeOver. Now she finally, after you know going off in side feuds with Mercedes Martinez and with Raquel Gonzalez, now she's getting her shot with Io Shirai this week on NXT. Is it time for Io to drop the belt? Is it time for Rhea to step up, or are we going a different direction here? I'm honestly not sure, man. I mean, I, I see it going any either way, to be honest, because... On the one hand, Io Shirai's done. Pretty, I think she's done pretty well as champion. On the other hand, Rhea Ripley would make a fantastic champion too. She didn't really have that. She has long. been a fantastic. She, yeah, champion she didn't before. really have that long of a stint with the belt. So I think maybe give her a good lengthy title reign now because she's like the nightmare of NXT. She's the bat, the certified badass, the toughest woman in the company. I think she deserves a good lengthy title reign. So I think if anybody were to take the belt off of Io, I think Rhea is the right person at this time. Well, I definitely think Rhea Ripley could have had a longer run with the championship. I think she should have beat Charlotte Flair. She should have beat Charlotte Just Flair. Just like Asuka should have beat Charlotte Flair a few years ago, but that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte Flair continues to win and win and win, and nobody ever gets put over. But that's a whole... We could do a whole other Dark Matches podcast about that. We could spend probably half a Finishing Move live show talking about that. But either way, Rhea Ripley is definitely one of the top stars in the NXT women's division. Io Shirai has been fantastic as champion. I've, I've loved pretty much their entire, the entire reign for her. 
Uh, she's made several, pretty much everybody she's faced look good. I mean, Candice LeRae, we're still waiting for her to kind of really break out in that heel role. And I mean, Io was a good opponent for her. Dakota Kai looked strong in a match against Io Shirai back at TakeOver 30. I mean, you, you've had several opportunities for Io Shirai to really shine. You know, she's had a good little run here. She's held the belt since what? Uh, that was June? In your house was after WrestleMania at some point. I think yeah, it was Yeah, I want to say it was after Money in the Banks. I want to say it was June. Like maybe I late May, early June. I think you may be right. I'm trying to remember exactly. But yeah, I think it, uh, June sounds about right to me, actually. So because it was before the bash. Right. It was the pay-per-view before the bash. So I think it was June. Yeah, so we're we're closing in here on what five months for five, reign months, yeah. for Io Shirai, which is longer than the reign that uh, Rhea Ripley had originally when she beat Shayna Baszler for it, going into WrestleMania and dropping it to Charlotte. So, I mean, you really could go either way here. And what is the result here? Obviously, Io has been positioned as a babyface for pretty much her entire her entire reign, but Rhea Ripley's been a face all this time too. So we've got you know these two big you know mainstays of the roster right now that are babyfaces going up against each other. You know, is it time for one of them to go the other direction? Is it time for... We haven't seen Rhea Ripley as a heel on NXT. We saw her as a heel in NXT UK going up against Tony Storm. Is it time for her to flip the script there? Or Io Shirai's been a really nasty heel at times, too. That's how she... You know, the whole... Uh, uh, her you know her new persona. You know, she was the genius of the sky and kind of more fun-loving. She had the team with Carrie Sane and was friends with uh, Candice LeRae. And then that, obviously, she turned heel, went opposite that way. We've seen her be that nasty heel, too. Is it time for either one of them to flip? Honestly, yeah. I, I can definitely see either of them being heels. But I'll tell you this. Them both being kind of the badass kind of babyface slash heel at the same time, you probably can't even tell the difference, if I'm be honest, between... Them like you know, as far as fan reactions concerned, and as far as their attitudes concerned, they're not they're not entirely different because they're both are like this is not my problem. I just want the championship. I just want to fight that kind of thing. But speaking of the women's division, Candice LeRae actually had a really good match with Tony Storm, and we did finally get the reveal that Indy Hartwell was the masked character, even though we all no, I know, no, it was Indy, really, it was her the whole time. Now, we all knew it was Indy Hartwell. It was me, with. Austin. It was me all along, Austin. <laughs> and Cole with a nice little throwback there. <laughs> yeah, but that hurts yeah, when Har- I do that now. Yeah, it's kind of making you kind of yeah. cough up a lo- yeah. long after you do My that one. My face gets yeah. a little red. I got to be careful. I'm getting old. Yeah. Now we got the re- revelation that was Indy Hartwell. Yeah, we big surprise sure. there. And then we got Shotzi Blackheart getting thrown into this little mix as well. It's gonna be like a- she threw a fit because her taint got ran over. Was that a little ridiculous to you? In a way, yes. But in another way, I can see I can see how she would freak out about Candice LeRae crushing it with a mass with a pickup truck. But at the same time, it was a I think that was a bit over the top. Although I did enjoy, I do love seeing Shotzi drive out in, in that little little it, Fisher it, Price. It's entertaining. Tank. It's very entertaining, yeah. and she's one definitely one of the best. Man, I swear, the, all around the NXT women's roster by far is, I think, in America is the best women's division all around. There's, there's a lot of depth issues on Raw and SmackDown. I mean, you've got some good good highlights, but you never get the true focus there. Whereas you look at, you've got several of these feuds. Ongoing and they're interesting within NXT. Obviously, we got this Io Shirai Rhea Ripley match, but like you said, we got now it's Candice LeRae and Shotzi Blackheart that's got an interesting thing with Indy Hartwell's wrinkle in there. You've got Z- uh, Zaya in her situation, which that that feud has uh, gotten more interesting with what happened with Boa last week. With the uh, I was well, a little confused by that because 
By the oh, way, do you, do you have like a little tattoo on your arm now? Did some creepy dude come do that to not, you too? Not yet. I mean, no. I'm, I'm going to probably be sleeping with one eye open now that you mention it. But yeah, yeah, that was that was weird. And but yeah, that was that confused me a little bit because Raquel Gonzalez was supposed to go up against um against uh, Zia Lee. And then Boa comes out and says, hey, she can't make it. I'm so sorry. I'm right. so sorry. And then Raquel Gonzalez proceeds to beat the living hell out Poor of him. Poor Boa. Yeah. I mean, so, so much for his uh, his future career in NXT. <laughs> normally, I don't mind women manhandling me like that at the same time, but... I don't really don't want to hear about this. <laughs> Why are you... No. Why, I get enough of this, the creepiness with Road Dog. Okay, first of all, this isn't creepy because I didn't... I didn't you're not, talking about getting manhandled by women. Man, do you like to you just like to go get beat up? Is that, is that what you're telling me? I would say beat up, but, you know, it's a totally, uh, that's a totally different again, thing. But, we can yeah. probably make assumptions where you're going with that. Man, this is a family <laughs> show. I don't know why you're going that direction. Well, but, I was just going to say, but this was, a, this was just freak, <laughs> this is just brutal. I mean, it was, was very brutal. Yeah, but then we had this old uh, Asian gentleman coming out. Right. With, like, it, the lights go down, you see a little dra- a Chinese dragon flying around that big screen, and then we have a... Uh, like an old Asian gentleman come out handing a handing a letter to Boa, and this is a, assumingly from a fa- from family members back in China because that's what we assume that was with Zaya. I think that's what was told the week before. And then he gets branded on his wrist with like a Chinese character. I'm just like thinking, is this going to be like a supernatural thing with Zia Lee or what's going to happen? Or here? we go, it's just turning into like the Iron Fist. Is it going to be like we're going comics here? But a lot of people making the assumption from what I've seen on social media that this is <laughs> alluding to some type of a, um, you know, Chinese mafia type, like a triad kind of thing. If you're going to go back to like, reminds me of Rush Hour, uh, the movies Rush Hour, oh when they were fighting the Chinese triad. But um, that goes back way too long. Yeah. That just shows my age. But uh, that <laughs> get old school Jackie Chan movies. Yeah, man. With Chris Tucker, man, it was good stuff. But uh, I don't know what direction. I'm I'm intrigued to see where it's going. I just, you know, it's like I was once upon a time intrigued by where Retribution was going, and then when they got there, I was no longer cared anymore. WWE has a good a good ability to hook you, but never has the ability to pay it off. They're very good at like, oh, what's that all about? Oh, that's what it's all about. It's like they're trying to reel you in, but the fish eats the entire eats up the bait and swims away from the hook. Pretty they take too much. Long, they take too long to reel you in, and they're just like, okay, the bait's gone. Don't care anymore. Swim or away. it's like the line snaps. Like, oh, you know, oh, they hooked me. Oh, they're pulling me along, and then, oh, wait, the storyline, we don't know where it's going. Let's just, you know what, let's cut the line and throw it back out. You know, that's pretty much exactly what they do with storyline after storyline that it, that really hooks people it's like they don't they they stumble upon it by accident there's a reason why we call it WWE uncreative on the show on finishing move live is i mean look what's the last time they had a really great storyline that just hooked you that had you on the edge of your seat i'll tell you the last time i was really intrigued it was the summer of punk in 2011 yep but that whole when he walked out with the championship and then there was the whole conspiracy angle with why did kevin nash you know, call CM Punk the title at the what seemed to be at the behest of Triple H when he denied it. Where was Vince McMahon and all this? And it never played out. But you had me hooked for weeks until I realized that once again it was going nowhere. And it's hard to allow myself to even get hooked by storylines anymore with that kind of intrigue because again they failed to do it. And I wouldn't be even on this NXT. I still wonder if they're really going to pull this off with wherever they're going with this. Honestly, man, it's it's like I said, it's just I got confused at, at one point because like I was like, okay, who is this guy? What's he doing? Like the commentators didn't give any explanation to it, which kind of left me scratching my head more than getting intrigued by it. 
which is I'm kind of a little worried that the storyline might get a little too confusing. People will just like just lose interest. Like, okay, I can't keep up with this. This is just too much for me to think about right now. I can't really get behind it because it's too, it's just, my mind's just going nowhere. I mean, will this lead to Zia League eventually facing off against Raquel Gonzalez? Or is this going to be just like, is she just going to be used as a little pawn in this thing and not really be used as like the heel in the story? What could happen? We don't know. I mean, depending on, I would assume that how this is going to play out is Zia Lee and Boa will be positioned as heels. But I think... You're not going to put Raquel Gonzalez as a heel at this or as a babyface at this point because for one she just got she just come off that feud with Rhea Ripley. She, to me, she's too she's a little green still, which means she could stand to still be the the heel in this situation. I don't think she's ready to be the babyface. She's kind of she's really good as a heel because she's just a you know uh, she, like a do- dominating presence. Yeah, I guess. she's she's not China, but it's it's a little China like. It's almost like um, it, it's. You know, sort of Nia Jax against uh, Pat Buck kind of beat down kind of stuff. Right. You know, it reminds me of that with what she did to Boa. But there's that storyline. You still got the Ember Moon and Tony's, or not Tony Stone, Ember Moon and uh, Dakota Kai feud going on. And now again, you're, you're paying attention to these feuds. So the women's division got a lot going on there, which is good. But coming out of last week's show, the thing that everybody was talking about the biggest upset in NXT history, from what Tom, uh, Vic Joseph called it. <sighs> Once again, Johnny Gargano cannot defend his championship, loses in the first defense after bringing back the wheel, because apparently that was his... He likes wheels now. He likes oh, he liked wheels for a liked. second, and then he apparently rigged it to land on Leon um, Ruff, who looked overmatched, out of place. Meanwhile, Damian Priest at ringside, distracting Gargano. And uh, <laughs> he just gets drilled with a crucifix bomb yeah. and gets now knocked down for the three one two three. We have a new North American champion, and his name is Leon Ruff. Yeah, I'll tell you what. The one thing I did find funny about that was at the end when um, Damian Priest puts the belt around his waist, lifts his arm, and the and he just looks like his pants fell down. Speaking of that, you know, there's every time there's a new champion in NXT, there's a running thing they do now where Triple H will pose for a picture right. with whoever the new champion is, and he just points at him. It's been a thing. I, I think it goes back to maybe when Finn Balor first won the NXT championship. It may go back further than that. I forget, but there's been some stories out there about it. You know, the, the WWE's covered it at some point, but the picture with Leon Ruff literally was him in the same situation with the belt down around his ankles and Triple H with this goofy smile on his it, face pointing at him. It's, it was it, great stuff. It looked like it. I swear, he had the same reaction people do when their pants fall down. Yeah. It was so, like, it's just Oops. so awkward. <laughs> that was funny. And then when Damian Priest comes in the back and gives him the keys to his chargers, like, get the hell out of here. Johnny's going to kick your ass, so you might want to get out of here. And then Johnny comes in and is just like freaking out, and he's just saying how much he hates wheels now. See, the 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 guy that's a fan of Johnny Gargano and wants to you know enjoy seeing him you know be a, a main presence on the NXT and and wishes he could have had some longer title reigns. The fact is, I mean, if you look at the history of him in NXT, he's literally, I mean, that's not just a singles thing because if I'm not mistaken, DIY lost their titles in their first defense. That's right against the Authors of Pain. I don't think right. they they may have had a defense on NXT TV between the two takeover shows. I don't remember. I don't know if uh, the revival got a rematch. I think I, they got I, called up after that. Maybe I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. I have to research it. But I mean, it wasn't long after that. It was definitely the very next takeover show that Gargano and Ciampa lost the tag titles. But you know, I would like to see Gargano get a long reign with a championship at some point. But if you can get past the fact that all right, the North American title is held by a guy that 
came out of nowhere to win the championship. He's like five, like the Rock calls him five foot nothing, five one hundred nothing. You know what? Don't touch your phone. It's nothing. He he says he knows you. I don't want to say it's like Marco Stunt winning the TNT Championship because Leon Ruff's in good shape. Leon Ruff can at least go. He can go, but. I mean, he's like the only comparison I can really think of. I mean, it just seemed that big of a mismatch. But even though it's interesting to see where they'll go with the championship here, the entertaining part of this, and this is why this storyline for me works, it's seeing how Johnny Gargano reacts. And he played it off so well. He plays the heel that that, that threw the fit, the crybaby, and is like, I, you got to overturn this, Mr. Regal. You got to overturn this. He did kind of get screwed over, though, to be fair. I mean, Damian Priest was at ringside, but he made the stipulation, man. It was his idea. But let me tell you, this reminds me of the feud between The Rock and Hur- The Hurricane. Yep. When um, The Rock five is foot like, nothing. You're, you're five foot nothing. One hundred nothing. Wait. Oh, it's nothing. He says he knows you. <laughs> that it's the Hamburglar. <laughs> you're going to throw a chicken at The Rock? And the, uh, the, one of my favorite parts of that segment was like the Scorpion King. Got a tiny dig a link. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then there's another part, like the one, then there's another part, like the, I think it was the week afterwards. And he says that again. And he's like, you remember this? Yes. I remember the tiny dig a link. Yes. Wait, whoo, no, no, no. <laughs> that was some of the best stuff. Rock's and then career. he has a match with them and. Stone Cold comes out and screws right. him and he loses. Right. Yeah, I was so. going to make the parallel. You made the comparison. Yeah, yeah, much same situation. Hurricane upsets The Rock because of someone else's interference. So, Leon Ruff, the new North American champion. I mean, what where do you go with this? I mean, is he going to be do you is this a situation where they always say it ain't the belt that makes the wrestlers, the wrestler that makes the belt, but is this going to be the case where the belt will make the wrestler? Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100% cuz Leon Ruff's not going to hang on to this for long. The question I mean, is, but you know they've done crazier things before. Will he somehow? Is he going to be the champion that somehow lucks out in a, in a positive like babyface way into continuing to hold the title until eventually the fans are just kind of like, eh, it's time for you to lose that belt. I don't think so because I don't think he's had enough action in NXT because I think maybe he's had what maybe two matches within the past six months or something. I don't think he's been exposed enough to where he can be that babyface. So I think that this may be just like a one-off championship reign well, for him. If he's going to lose the championship, then is it a, is it the rematch with Gargano, which you'd imagine Gargano gets a rematch. Is it time for Cameron Grimes to step into that role? Is it it's, Dexter Loomis? Who who steps up here? I don't think it'll be Grimes and Loomis because right now they're entangled in their own feud. So I think they're going to stay away from the North American title for a bit. So it's I, I think it's either going to be Priest or Gargano, depending on who is going to be kind of given the opportunity will William Regal give him his give Gargano his contractual rematch if that still exists in NXT because I don't think that exists in WWE anymore since Triple H got rid of it with that new era thing yeah so it should be interesting to see where they go from here I I honestly <laughs> knowing WWE and their love for like that underdog storyline I wouldn't be surprised if they booked like a like a triple threat or a four-way or some type of match where he's the champion, he's defending against a slew of guys like a Cameron Grimes, a Damian Priest, you know, uh, Johnny Gargano maybe even. It could be a five-way match or something like that where the other guys pretty much do all the damage and he takes it, he just happens to luck his way into making the pin. I could see you getting at least a few months out of this before he finally loses to maybe some big, you know, the next big, you know, thing in the division. Who knows where they go with that, but we'll see what's happening. So that's kind of where NXT's at right now. 
elsewhere on the other side, the other show, the other channel. The other guys. The other guys. AEW coming off a of full gear last week. What was the big stuff that we saw? Well, as usual, after Cody Rhodes has a loss at a pay-per-view, he tends to turn direction pretty quick. He's in the ring saying that he wants to avenge a previous loss to MJF before some mysterious female enters the ring and basically tells him off, and he's perplexed. We don't know who this lady is. She introduces herself as Jade. I forget Car- what. Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill. She's a trainee at the Nightmare Factory here in Atlanta. Okay, so she's, she's had some experience at least in the training uh, situation there. But, again, everybody's kind of confused the whole time. She's like, you know, you're going to say you're the giant killer. Well, there's a big guy that's going to want to challenge you and take you down. But she still doesn't say anything about it. She walks up the ramp, then turns around and says, by the way, the big guy I'm talking about is Shaq. Now, we talked about this on, on the radio show as well. You know, when the original rumor came out months ago when Shaq said he'd love to wrestle Cody Rhodes at some point. I mean... I didn't expect it really to happen. I thought it was more of just fantasy booking, just like Shaq said the last time when he wanted to wrestle the big show and we didn't get it. Are we really going to get Shaq versus Cody Rhodes? I mean, we did get Shaq in a Royal in the um, Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Correct. That didn't go very much anywhere because I think he got eliminated relatively early, if I remember correctly. But you had the the big moment where him they and just Big Show faced each off, other down, choke each other, and then everybody kind of lifted them both out at the same time. I don't I don't really know honestly because I don't know what experience Shaq has in that kind of thing. I don't even think he's ever, like, hit the ropes at all in a wrestling, like, other than just, like, you know, staring out Big Show. I think that's the only thing he's ever done in a wrestling ring, which wouldn't surprise me. But I'll tell you this, given the, like, the the freaking beast athlete that Shaq is, I wouldn't be surprised he actually did did kind of work up as, like, a Big Show kind of, uh, kind of, right. pers- kind of wrestling style, I would I guess I would say. Well, you know, we talked about it on the radio show this past Thursday, and my my thought process on it, and I brought it up, was there's a reason why Jade has been introduced in this situation, because she does have a little bit of wrestling experience, uh, obviously being trained. She's probably done some independent bookings. I'm just not as familiar with her as a worker, but there's a reason why she was introduced, and while we got the awesome showdown between her and Ooh, Brandy Rhodes, man, she tore her a new one oh, on man. the mic. Brandy, uh, she brought like, the protective, overprotective wife. Yeah, she was out. like the, she was like the mama bear coming out, waving her finger at her, like, "Who do you think you are?" kind of thing, like right <laughs> exactly. in her face. Oh my goodness, that was like the, probably the most heated I've seen Brandy Rhodes since she's been on camera at AEW. Oh yeah, you saw what Brandy could really bring to the table, and, and really, I mean, as a as an on air character, her wrestling abilities never come around. Really, it's still kind of in development, but as an on air personality, it's there. My theory, though, is the reason why you involve them is because this is headed for like a tag team situation. It's going to be potentially Shaq and Jade against Brandy and Cody. That way, you know, you get a little bit of interaction with Cody and, and Shaq, but there's not a whole lot. And the majority, I hate to say this, the majority of the work can probably be Jade versus Brandy. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, that way it feels like there's more to this match. You beef it up a little bit, you... You know, dress it up a little bit when you know that a Cody versus Shaq match ultimately isn't going to be a whole lot more than Cody bumping around. Well, do you think this probably also could be more like something like they did with Chris Jericho and Mike Tyson, where it just kind of died off after a little bit? Because they couldn't make a deal. Supposedly, the original all-out opponent for Chris Jericho was not Orange Cassidy. It was Mike Tyson, and they couldn't they couldn't complete the deal. So that's the Orange Cassidy feud was supposed to happen. It just wasn't going to go all the way to all out. That was going to transition to Mike Tyson, 
and eventually we just ended up with the the uh, Mimosa Mayhem match, which you know still ended up being very entertaining. But yeah. you know that would have been something that would have been for your casual fan and the, for those people in pop culture that are looking into oh, what is this company? Well, hey, Mike Tyson, I know he's old, but man, he still looks like he'd knock somebody out. Let's see what happens on this. And a Shaq versus Cody match, I think, would be something similar because it's more of a it's the, it's you know the you're going to the aquarium and you're looking at the big uh, shark because hey, you just want to see what this is all about. You know, it's not you know you're going to see the rest of the, that's going to entertain you along the way, but this is going to be the, that, the thing that pulls you there. You know, you advertise, hey, we're getting Shaq versus Cody, and then hopefully people you know that match won't will be what it is. But then while you're there, you get Kenny Omega versus John Moxley. You get you know, the Young Bucks against FTR, whoever it may be, it's very much like how the NW, the concept of the NWO, how they pulled everybody into WCW, but while you were there, guess what? You saw Malenko and Benoit and Jericho and Guerrero and the Cruiserweight division. And, I mean, you know, we always argue about it on on the live radio show that whether this is even, is there a point to Mike Tyson being here? Is there a point to Shaq being here? That's the point. Yeah, I mean, Speaking of which, you know, you could have, like, like we saw Brody Lee. We saw that a report came out that he's supposedly injured with an ankle injury. And then we talked about last week how it was going to be him and Hangman Page going up against each other. Hangman Page is in limbo right now. I actually sent out, I actually saw a tweet by, um, I think it was Wrestling Inc. I think I, I saw think. that one. Yeah, they said they had a list of people who they want to see Brody Lee with. I was kind of surprised. It was like Chris Jericho in the inner circle, Cody and. There was Cody, there was Darby Allen. I yeah, think it was Cody was and Darby against. I think it was Cody and Darby against them. Yeah, but I, I didn't. I was Which surprised. I don't hate that. I don't hate that either because, I mean, I was surprised I didn't see Hangman on that list because Hangman's like doing nothing right now and he's eventually going to challenge Kenny Omega for the title when he wins it. So I'm like, why in the heck didn't they list it? So I kind of chose the other option and said, right. I'm picking Hangman because I think that'd be a good stepping stone for him. But tell you what. That w- I wouldn't hate that, and I, I'm kind of curious to see how serious this injury is with Brody Lee, just to see if he required surgery or not, because I don't think there was a report that said he did. Uh, I think it was Brian Alvarez who came out with that, who um, said it was a uh, ankle injury. That Because, well, I'll tell you this, ankle injuries can go either way, because they either require surgery or it doesn't. But They you know, can linger a long time, they really speaking can, though. from experience. It just, you know, it, it's like a shoulder, man. It's like that one, it's like one of those joints where it's just like, mm-hmm. it could, it could like vary in degree with like a dislocation or like right. a stretched ligament or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, honestly, given the human biology, a, a shoulder injury being not as common as it is, is a miracle in itself, because it's not really hanging by much. Right. Absolutely. And speaking of this guy who has a, had a broken shoulder a couple of years ago. And speaking of this guy who's a family of doctors, I know about this You're stuff. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we we have an idea where that where that's headed. But yeah, I mean, I don't know where you know, where you could go with a few of those different feuds and, and where you go from there. But they they teased that last week. We also got the induction of MJF into the inner circle. Again, just microphone gold. And guess what? Now they're all going to Vegas. Vegas, baby. I'll tell you what. I wish I was going with them because I love going to Vegas. So much fun. I haven't been to Vegas since, man, I couldn't tell you the last time I was in Vegas. I went to Vegas last time was a year ago from this past August wow. because my family, my me, my dad, my brother would go to a hockey camp out in Vegas right. for a couple of years um, over in Summerlin by the ballpark outside mm-hmm. Vegas. It's um uh, this place called the Red Rock Casino. It's Actually, okay. it's actually a pretty, pretty, really nice casino out there. Sure. And it's like, it's a good way to get away from the strip. You can still go to the strip and all that. It's not too far away. Right. But it's just like, if you want a, a casino without all the, like the massive crowds and all that, well, pre-COVID, I mean, 
Just go to like one of those those bigger casinos outside of town, and then you can always go gamble inside town. I mean, Vegas in general is just so much fun. I had we actually won a good amount of money out there. We were actually pretty lucky. We kind of came back in the green twice in two years in a row. But yeah, they're going to Vegas. I w- I would love to go with them. And I'll tell you this: I bet Jericho's a riot out in Vegas. And I'm not sure how MJF would be out there. Um, come on now, he's probably going to be <laughs> he's probably going to be mocking. You know all the the card uh, the uh, the dealers and and every, pretty much every you know how he's gonna be he's gonna be condescending oh he's gonna gosh. be I'm better than you and all that he's probably gonna be throwing money left and right like oh, he owns 100%. the place I mean it's gonna be that whole entourage thing it's it's you know it's gonna be entertaining the the thing I took from last week though once again you single out Sammy Guevara. Sammy got situation. screwed. Cause Where's got- Sammy? Oh, I didn't get the email right. So apparently you didn't send me an email. <laughs> No, no, I, I, but hey, Sammy, really, I did send you. He an told email. me to go to the beach. <laughs> but that's they told us all that. But then they he said to come here. Oh, I didn't get that email again. There's that, you know, MJF's trying to play nice, but we all know that he's really trying to put the screws to to Sammy Guevara because I've said it for weeks now. Out of this. At the very least, Sammy Guevara is going to leave the group and be the babyface coming out of this situation, and I think Jericho will eventually be there too. And I, I see this being a situation where the rest of the group will stay intact, even if they're not the inner circle anymore, even if they're some other variation of the group. I mean, it's just going to be fascinating to see where it goes from here. Uh, but, again, it's just, man, it's gold. Every time MJF and Jericho are on the screen together, you just tend to stare. It's like, all right, I don't know what's going on on the other channel. They might have Finn Balor versus... Kurt Angle in a dream match for the world title and MJF and Jericho have a segment on AEW. I bet you a lot of folks might still watch the AEW segment. Uh, dude, it's, it's like entertaining. One, it's one of those things that's like an instant draw. When you see MJF and Jericho are going to have like some sort of ceremony of, of anything. And like MJF just continues to kiss the ass of Jericho. And like, especially when he dropped the balloons from the air and just. Like I love that they, happy they, birthday they, had the, they had the storm going or the, like a storm going That's over right. and been raining, so all the balloons just go flying out of the building. I think there was that a was tweet. An unintentional funny, but it was funny. I think there was a tweet that said, "Hey, I caught one of the balloons from the ceremony today," um, and I think MJF replied to it. I don't remember exactly what he said, but just like if you see MJF on Twitter, he's even more entertaining. I mentioned this multiple times on the show and Twitter, like on. And um, on this show, I think I mentioned a couple times, MGF is gold on Twitter. Like, he's one of the most entertaining accounts out there right now. No, oh, he's fantastic on there. He plays, he, he stays in character. He doesn't try to be, you know what, I, I'm I'm this guy. I'm me. I'm, I'm just, you know, regular me here on Twitter. But on TV, man, I'm just a, you know, I'm an a-hole. Class A, a-hole on TV. No, no. He's class a-hole on TV and on Twitter. Everywhere he goes, he plays the character. He lives the character. He's probably a little bit of the character, to be honest with you. That's why he plays it so well. Uh, but, man, gosh, he's just hes so good. He's so good on the mic. He plays his role well. Jericho's great. Everything they do, I mean, more over the top, the better. I mean, it just it's like how can you escalate it? Now, can you imagine sitting around a table of creative just involving those two? And it's like, all right, throw out ideas, and how can you make it work? And I, mean, I imagine there's all this just every little crazy idea you can think of, and Jericho in his mind, it's it's rolling, it's going, hey, how can I make that work? And I guarantee you, probably 50% of the ideas, probably he can make work. 
Dude, He's a genius. It's like one of the, it's like I remember this one of the guys who we work with, Kevin D'Amico, saying like, "I wonder what it's like to sit in a Geico advertising commercial like, meeting." <laughs> yeah, I think it'd yeah. be the same thing. I think that's kind of like the same concept because I would love to sit in like a creative meeting with these two, like just to hear Jericho's ideas. Because every idea Jericho throws out is usually gold, just like those Geico commercials. Like usually every idea they throw out there is really good. And I think it's kind of similar with a meeting with Jericho and um, MJF and Creative. I think they've kind of a similar concept there. You know, and the the cool thing is, and you talking about that just kind of made me think of take a broader look at AEW as a whole, and from a creative standpoint, and you you think of some of the the guys that are kind of that are in that creative situation. You look at all the EVPs with the Young Bucks and Cody and and Omega, and then you you know Jericho pretty much calling his own shots. You can tell the different different angles of creativity that they're all coming from. You can tell Jericho's really got that over-the-top ha-ha humor a lot to his feuds, whereas Cody's got those really good, you know, they're usually just good storytelling, and it's emotional, it's bloody, it's gritty. You can tell where Cody's coming from, and then the Bucks tend to, they really like that inside stuff. They want to make the nods to the to the niche fans out there as you get some of these uh, things that they say on, like, BTE. But then also what you see sometimes just on TV in general from them. So it's kind of fascinating to see how all those different creative elements come together to make their show. It just shows that, you know, they give a lot of freedom to the wrestlers themselves for creativity, which is what they touted, like, when they first started the companies. Like, say, hey, will give you all more cre- more open creativity to create your own character. Whereas in in WWE, you see like, oh, we control your character. Or this is what you're going to say. Or like they'll give special treatment to guys like John Cena or Roman Reigns like to do their own, to do their own promos, do their own characters. But yeah, you just see that more freedom in AEW and it shows that the wrestlers are having much more fun with it. They're doing a lot better segments with it. Like you see with Jericho when he's got all this creative freedom, which I'm sure you had back in WWE with his, you know, he's probably had a lot of creativity freedom out there because you can see he had the list of Jericho and that I'm just, that was like 100% a Jericho idea or his feud with Moxley. It's 100% his idea. But then you see kind of him bring that over to AEW and then you see what the other wrestlers can come up with. Like probably MJF had a good, good say in all the segments that they did together or like when Cody Rhodes does his his like epic kind of entrance promos. He's kind of like he's like that epic character, like you know that always go brings out the big exciting moments. And then you have people like the Young Bucks, like you say, they kind of do their own thing. Kenny Omega, like he kind of brought back his old cleaner persona. He's got the freedom to do that and kind of do his own thing with that. Moxley with his violence, you know, he's got all the all the ability to just do, get as violent as he wants. You know, it's it's just the creativity is just better off when you let the wrestlers themselves do it. I couldn't agree more with that. And you see with what you get a gauge for, you know, I'm not saying that I have inside access. I don't have the knowledge here. It's just kind of an assumption based off of what I see. And that's that, you know, while Tony Khan ultimately owned, you know, he is the owner here, him and along with his father, but he's the one that's running this show ultimately. And he has the final say. He trusts the guys that are making these decisions, that are coming up with these ideas to co- to to create and I think he's there. He's the filter that you know a lot of people always said Vince is, but he's not the filter that's literally going to sit there and say, you know, I don't like that. Do something else. He's saying, okay, we can get away with that. That'll you know that might work or you know I think he's there to make sure that you know John Moxley doesn't come up with an, a, an extreme stipulation that's too extreme. That Jericho doesn't come up with something that's a little too ha ha. I mean, I think he's literally there just to almost be like an editor. Just to, you know, let's let's take that one little bit out of there to make it perfect, but not to have such a control in the storylines that you're script, ripping up scripts 
an hour before you know, your live show on television because I don't like it. That's not good stuff. <laughs> I mean, you're not, you don't get that with AEW. You can tell there's the freedom there. Now, also, sometimes I, I watch the show and I think that, that maybe sometimes by giving them freedom, there's almost too freedom because I, too much freedom because I feel like sometimes there's no the flow isn't the direction isn't perfect. But I think that's a lot of them working out the kinks of that. But it just leads to a better live feel to a show that doesn't feel overly produced. The matches don't feel overly produced. It just feels natural. You know, it's like it's like when you going into a job and you have two different types of managers that you work for. You know, you have the one guy who micromanages everything. Like, they always breathe down the people's necks because he doesn't really trust them to do it your way. You know, I've worked for people like that before. But then you also have, like, the managers who, like, trust you but are there kind of more as like a safety net if something goes wrong? Say, hey, we're here to like you do it. I'm going to give you the. I'm going to give you the rope. Don't go hang yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Just like you know, we you do your own thing. But hey, if you need me to like clean up, it's like clean things up a bit. I'm here for you to help you out. But he's not necessarily giving too much freedom to where like you know everything goes out of control. You mess up and you can't really come back from it. But he's like, you know what? Hey, bring it. Just bring it back just a little bit. Okay, we're good right now. You know, it's like. You just don't like that overbearing person just, like, watching every single move that you do, you know, breathing down your neck. This is speaking from experience, too. I have worked for people like that in the past, and, man, it's just so annoying. It feels like you don't, you're don't, you not trusted. You know, it just kind of feels like, oh, there's only one way to do this, so you kind of – it doesn't feel natural to you, you know? It's like you feel a little robotic, I guess, is the best way to put it for me. No, I couldn't agree more. And I, looking at this, as, again, from a broader perspective of AEW – Man, it says a lot for their Tony Khan and those in charge recognizing, you know, who to put in these situations. And you look at how MJF has been able to put on this so entertaining storyline with Chris Jericho, but look at what he was able to do with Moxley and how the build up to that was good. And he was able to, you know, kind of be a more intense, hardcore situation. Not that their match was hardcore, but, you know, it was a different type of storytelling than what's going on with the Inner Circle and with Jericho. But then look at how serious that feud with Cody was. You know, he's, it's like MJF's been put in these situations and he puts gold on every time he's out there because they recognize, man, that the future is with him. He can pull it off. He's got the chops to do it. You could, I mean, that makes him so versatile and means that he's going to be a guy that's going to be around and be on the top for a long time because it doesn't matter who you put him against. At least from a, a, a promo perspective, he's still got a little ways to go in the ring. I don't think he's proven himself quite yet. He's young, though. He's like 23, right. so he's still got a lot more time to work. He's still relatively fresh. What can you teach in, in wrestling ring, ultimately, over the course of a man, someone's career? For the most part... You can get better and better and better in the ring. Look at how the Miz was when he first debuted. Look at where he is now. Is he Daniel Bryan in the ring? No, absolutely not. But is he accept? Is he is he solid in the ring? Absolutely, of course. And MJ, I'm not saying MJF isn't solid in the ring. I think he's pretty good. I just don't. Is he going to be the guy that's going to put on the five star matches that everybody seems to be looking for these days? He hasn't got there yet. But that's something that can develop over time. What you cannot teach is a natural ability in front of a microphone. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You see it like with people like there's people like Enzo Amore and and oh, um, man and uh, CM Punk who just have right. that natural ability to just like to hook you in with their yep. words. Yep. And then you have people like MJF as well. He's I'll tell you one thing I loved about the feud with Cody and MJF was the build up to it when yep. MJF was like pretending to be his best friend, mm-hmm. and how Cody actually really trusted him, like trusted him enough to kick the rest of the Nightmare Family out and have MJF in his corner. 
And then, like, you just knew it was coming. Oh, you of course. You knew that MJF was going to turn. But what really got you is when he was going to turn. What really got you is like, okay, is he going to turn here at this pay-per-view? Mm-hmm. Is he going to turn at this pay-per-view? That's what really got you. And then you actually see him turn, and then you're like, yes, here it is. We're going to get this feud. I just love it. And you were just invested in it because right. the buildup was so worth it. Well, those that had seen MJF prior to AEW knew how good of a heel he could be. I mean, his work in MLW was off the page. I mean, one of the bright spots that stood out from a company that young that was that didn't have a whole lot that was really glaring out to the you know trying to find itself uh, as a new you know not necessarily a new promotion they'd been around for. I mean, as in a company years ago, they came back, obviously, but, you know, he was one of those spots that people could point to. Hey, you should check out MLW for no no other reason than watch MJF because he's a good, entertaining character. And if nothing else, listen to him on commentary when he's there with Tony Schiavone and listen to him go at Tony. It'll be good stuff. So, if anything, that kind of got me watching MLW and seeing what they had to offer, which is good stuff, good quality wrestling, in addition to what MJF was doing then. But we all knew he could be a great heel. So it was kind of perplexing when the AEW comes around and he finds himself in the situation of now he's Cody's friend, but Cody's a babyface. Okay, this is weird. Why are you using him as a babyface? I wasn't so much a fan of that, and the heel turn was predictable. But we knew once he turned heel, that's when it was going to get good. So the lead-up to the heel turn, I could have done without. But but the lead-up from the heel turn to the match... That was where it was at. We had to do all those steps to actually get the exactly. match with MJF. The, 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 that oh, was, yeah. The lashes, man. Oh, my gosh. Some that, of the that best was, storytelling I've ever seen in wrestling. We actually were there at the end of the stipulations right. to see the match in the cage with Wardlow. Yep. Now, here's the thing. The funniest part was going into that, going into the, uh, the arena that day. We're just sitting there seeing the cage. I'm like, okay. I think that Cody's going to win by escape because I didn't think that they would take that. I thought they were going to still stick with that stipulation with the steel cage match rules, but they didn't. And that's what kind of made me think, okay, now I'm kind of curious to see how Cody's going to win this thing. Cause he won it with a moonsault off the top of the cage. Right. I'll tell you what though, seeing it, seeing it live versus seeing it on TV. It's just, it's just some different, two man. different things. I'll oh say, my God. hundred percent different. I will say this though, while we're sitting there in the arena watching that, my wife was at home watching it. Cause she's like, well, hey, maybe I'll see my husband on TV, so well, I'll watch. Uh, and and this is one of those things where it's like, well, we would watch Dynamite together on Wednesday. She doesn't really care about wrestling. I'm working on it. She does like Bailey at a WWE, but you know, it's it's she's more like I'll just I'm just gonna sit with you and watch, you know, be in the room and hang out with you while you watch it. How about that? Well, it's one of those things where she's watching it because I'm there. She knows I'm watching it. So it's like if we can't actually be sitting, you know, we're that lovey-dovey couple. Let me tell you that oh. we're, we're totally that. We'll probably nauseate you here in a minute. But that's anyway, to digress, she, she's watching <laughs> it for that reason. And she sees him do that moonsault and immediately texts me. He's like, whoa, that was crazy. And so like, it did have an like, impact yeah, on Yeah, you think? But – there is something that we knew it was coming as soon as he, he knew he was going to. He was climbing cage. up that cage. You're just like, okay, something's going to happen here. What's right. he going to do? Yeah, I knew he was going to do something off the cage. I was thinking more like a cross body, an elbow drop, or something. But to see him do the moonsault, I was not expecting that. Man, he he Ooh, actually that was crazy. He actually hurt himself in that moonsault too. I think he right. hurt his ankle, like twisted his ankle pretty bad. Yeah, or yeah, I remember that. Yeah, because he came back down after the. Uh, well, that was the main event, right? It was the main that event, was the yes, because Cody gave like an off-air speech afterwards in right, the cage. Right, and he was kind of hobbling around a little bit. There was I mean, That was pretty entertaining, too, I, I, what we got to see afterwards. But 
Uh, we also that was the night we found out that QT Marshall could be a quarterback for any football team in that the country. Is, I'm like, you see him on TV versus live, man. My God, QT is bigger than he looks on TV, man. He, he is, but they were giving away T-shirts after the show, and he oh, took yeah. one of them and launched it. About, oh my God, that dude freaking t- that that thing got some distance. It got some. It got, went further than the T-shirt gun they were using. I'll tell I you mean, one of my favorite parts of that whole part, that whole ending scene was when they were throwing the mints out in the crowd. <laughs> and they're like, they Cody yells, "Who wants some mints?" Right. And there's these little butter mints that the teachers give you after exams. But Orange Cassidy, Orange Cassidy, out, barely he's out there throwing he has it. His, he has one mint in his hand, and he half-ass throws it. It just doesn't even make it to the first row. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he just like does the kicks on um Brandon Cutler, and then right. he kicks his head off, and then they take this one-year-old kid and like have him mm. pin Brandon Cutler. That one-year-old kid had no idea what was going on. I'm pretty sure he was crying that whole time. Man, uh, that's... And then they're like, who wants Justin Roberts' tie? (laughs) (laughs) Daniel Bryan does. Oh, 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 no, man. Oh, no. I didn't go there. I'm still kind of haunted by that image, if I'm not going to lie, because that was pretty dark. (laughs) Yeah, it was a little... I'll tell you one of my favorite parts of that night, though, was singing Judas when Chris Jericho came out. Like that you, and me, were, you and me, you and me, kind of were like yeah. just ar- like arms around our shoulder, just singing Judas together. We man. might as well have been Steve Austin and Kurt Angle singing "Kumbaya" back in the day. That I mean, was, was that great. was that gave me chills, man. It was much more fun doing it in person than doing it when you're when you're oh, just watching yeah, on TV. Yeah, yeah. You're hearing the crowd do it, and then when you're actually doing it yourself, right? That right. that well, just it, that it, gave me goosebumps. There was that part of it. It, it t- almost takes you back to going to an old WWE show and getting to. When Kurt Angle comes out, everybody going, you, you suck. suck. You, you suck. suck. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of entertaining. Or, or doing what with Steve Austin oh, or something like yeah. that. It was a lot like that. I mean, it was that. Everybody was singing Cody Rhodes' song when it came yeah, out. Yeah, you and me were trying to kind of like, I knew more of the words than you did, but even yeah. then it wasn't that much. Hey. So we're just like, na, 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 na. Well, that's because it's a lot easier to tell what Jericho's singing than what Downstate is. But I will that's say true. this. If you go onto Apple Music right now, Believe it or not, there's actually the lyrics on there for Kingdom. So if you listen to it there, you can actually, if you don't know the lyrics, you can learn the lyrics. Oh, I, yeah. spent a lot, I spent a time the other day actually uh, checking that out. I was like, I wonder what they're saying when they get into the chorus. Now I know, but I'm not going to tell anybody now because nobody needs to hear me sing. Yeah, but probably while a good we're idea, singing, I don't you're also entertaining the entire crowd by calling the matches. Probably better than Excalibur was. Oh yeah, Jericho just he just kills it on mic on the mic, man. Like on commentary, right? My goodness, man, he just just doesn't cease to entertain me no matter what he does. Right, absolutely. So, ah, man, AEW, man, that's There's the another, one thing about yeah. COVID that is, has taken away something that I'm sure they do some stuff after yeah. the shows down there at Daily Center. But man, when they were touring around, you had the rally crowd. I just wanted to see them come cities. back to Atlanta, man. Just do a show over here because they did a, they did a couple of shows in Atlanta before they went to Daly's Place, I think. Before, like when they had those crowdless events. Well, they did the show at uh, at QT Marshall's, at the Nightmare Factory. What, That's right. Formerly, uh, what, I forget what it was called. Yeah, it was out. It's by Kennesaw, right? No, it's actually, I think it's in Norcross. Oh, okay. Norcross that, yeah, area. I think you're right. I think it was Norcross. Um, I forget what it, what it, it was. Oh, the One Fall Factory is what it was originally called. That's QT, right. It was QT Marshall's School, and then uh, Dustin came into the, the, the picture there, and now it's the Nightmare Factory. Um, but they did the shows there. Those, that's where Jericho first kind of come on the scene, doing the commentary to begin with. But, you know, you look at that, you brought that up. I mean, Daily Center is an outdoor amphitheater-type setting. You know, there's a, no reason why they couldn't bring the, the guys up to the, the Atlanta metro area. we got we got Lakewood Amphitheater. Like We've got uh, the, the former find, Verizon, um, Verizon, Verizon Arena, yep. now known as the Ameris Bank Amphitheater. You could do a show there. 
There's plenty of places around here. I mean, here we're sitting it. here, by the way, our studios in the Battery Atlanta, right by uh, Truist Park. Do it there. Do a show at Truist Park. It's outside. I mean, uh, WWE's kind of already taken the baseball stadium idea for the Royal Rumble. So, so I mean, we're here. So we hear. Yeah. What if they... They're not even... Technically, yeah. that's not an outdoor venue. It's a dome. That's true. Well, yeah. both of them were in outdoor venues, Arizona and um, Houston. They did one... The first one was at um, Chase Field out in Arizona. That's true. And then the second one went over to Minute Maid Park in Houston. Right, right. Now they're looking... They're talking about doing the Rumble uh, potentially in Tampa in order to... I think they're trying yeah. to do all events uh, down they're in They're trying to do everything trop, right? out of there. Yeah, they're trying to do it out of the trop. Uh, to see, you know, just to, for one, they're gonna have to get out of Amway. Yeah, they're about to get long. kicked out of Amway, so they had to find somewhere else. And I think, Tam- right. I think the trop. I think that's next. a good idea, and it would be really good if they can. I know they're they're talking. Of course, we've done got off on a squirrel here and gone under the WWE talk, but you know, we do this on the finishing move. This is what we do. We get off on other tangents. We'll eventually get back on track, or we'll just call it a day, one or the other. But it to me it would be a good idea to go to, to the trop. I think that's a good setting for them, especially if the goal. For WrestleMania now, it's no longer obviously Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium because you're just not going to have a crowd there. There's no point. California's going to be shut down. Right. California has been one of the places in in the country during COVID that has banned all this. You know, and no point where during the playoffs uh, for baseball when they were in San Diego and LA, there were no fans. They eventually had fans in Texas. But they did not do that in California, and that's, it's not going to happen there, most likely, unless you know that vaccine thing happens really quick. It's not going to happen there, so it sounds to me like they want to do a retry of the show in Tampa at uh, Raymond James, there where the Buccaneers play. I mean, if you're already in Tampa at the Trop for all the shows leading up to it, guess what? Just move your setup right over to literally Raymond right, James. It's literally right across the bay. Right. Set up there. Do WrestleMania, then I don't know where you go from there because the theory at that point, you're into April. Theoretically, baseball is back by then. Now, whether it's going to happen on time, I mean, obviously, we had to wait till the end of July this year for baseball, but, you know, if they're back like normal, then the chop's going to be needed for the Tampa Bay Rays, but, uh, Unless the defending the, American League champion. Well, unless the Rays kind of didn't they say they were going to try to get a new stadium? They've been trying to get a new stadium for years. Yeah, that, there was like a. There was a like a concept that's been put online. I think it was about a year ago that actually looked pretty nice, but I don't know if they ever did anything with that. I have no idea. I'm not a Tampa Bay fan. No offense to our fans in Tampa Bay, but I'm just not. Just, you know, nothing against you. I just don't like the Lightning. But you know, wow, oh, forget uh, the Lightning, man. Yeah, screw those guys. Go Thrashers. Yeah, but yeah. no, go Predators, man. All day well, long. I, I like the Predators too. I'm not Nash gonna... Vegas, baby. Yeah, dude, Broadway is just so much fun. Broadway, yeah, it's not much fun right now, I hear, because a lot okay. of stuff's shut down. But yeah, uh, that's that's a shame because that normally, would be the thing we're talking about Vegas earlier. Well, I wonder what Vegas is like right uh, now. Oh, Vegas is yeah. You know, from what John Kincaid told me, it actually was pretty cool because uh, he said there was like some sort of pod system in the blackjack tables or something, and there was like big giant screens or I don't know exactly, but he said it was actually really cool. And um, hmm. speaking of Nashville, actually. It's around this time of year, around Thanksgiving time, when me and my hockey buddies all make a trip up to Nashville. Right. And we play a game at Bridgestone Arena. Oh. We, so I've, I've done that like three times. It's great. The ice is fantastic. And I then do like we, Bridgestone. Yeah, Bridgestone. a good arena. It's a great arena, yeah. And then we see the game afterward. We go to right. a Preds game. And it's funny because there's this one uh, grilled cheese sandwich stand in 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 Bridgestone Arena. Figures you would find a grilled cheese sandwich Dude, stand. Dude, it's really good. It's a really good grilled cheese go sandwich. Go to a hockey game, go get a grilled cheese sandwich. It's a really good grilled you cheese sound sandwich, like my man. my wife. 
Get a grilled cheese sandwich and a beer, man. That's my thing when I go to Nashville. Take my but. wife to Five Guys and she gets a grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah, well, hockey game you can pretty much get anything out there, man. There's not really a set snack. Well, they're they're game. like, uh, well, that's true. But I would, typically, when I go to a game of any kind, I'm I'm looking for either a hot dog, a hamburger, or pizza, one or the other. Oh, uh, come on, man! Arena pizza. Arena pizza is good, man. Come on, man. Uh, that's ballpark like a, pizza's good it's like too. A I love pizza at a two on the Portnoy scale. Uh, uh, you know what? We're gonna it's differ- like Sbarro style. Uh, hey, Sbarro, if you catch it at the right time, can be pretty good. <laughs> then again, keyword at the right time. Hey, hey, here's the thing. I will always stand up because I am. I am. If you got to give me my last meal on this earth, it's going to be a pizza of some type. Pizza is by far my favorite food, so I will make exceptions for other. I. I will eat Little Caesars, even though that is nothing compared to the best pizza oh, in the heck world. No. But hey, guess what? I still like it because it's pizza. You know, I'll tell you, my go-to snack was whenever there was a Thrashers game, we always sat in like the section 115 right behind the benches. Oh, I must there's have been a, nice. There's a pretzel stand in, uh, outside pretzel Portal. Pretzel game's good, too. It's outside, it was outside Portal. I think it was Portal 9, and it's called Wetzel's Pretzels. Wetzel's Pretzels? Yeah, I've heard of Wetzel's Pretzels. That is a Isn't that a Canadian, Canadian company? What's that? I feel like, isn't Wetzel's Pretzels like a Canadian thing? I don't know, but that's a damn good pretzel. I could be wrong. I'm just going back in my brain. I'm a fan of How Wetzel's I Met Your Mother, pretzel, the TV show. It was better There's than a reference it's on there. better than Auntie Anne's. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It's well, better than Auntie You know Anne's. who would agree to that? Probably Kevin D'Amico. Yeah. <laughs> Wetzel's <laughs> Pretzels an was, the be- story it, it was one of the best pretzels that I've ever had. I'm not going to lie. At an arena. But, okay, now we talked enough about arenas right now. There's another thing on AEW I do want to bring up. Okay, go ahead. Is the Young Bucks do brought out a challenge to this young team called Top Flight. I don't know who Top Flight is. Top Flight are Entertain these two, me. They're these two brothers. I'm sorry, educate me. They're brothers. Uh, twin brothers. I believe they're twins. They were been on AEW Dark the past two weeks. Okay. These guys are good. Okay. These guys look fantastic. They fly around the ring. They just they're just so athletic. They're like private parties to an extent, but they're just more about the high flying stuff than the private party is. These oh, guys seems are like, like a perfect match for the young bucks. These guys are like they're just really fun to watch on dark. And okay. I'm really excited to see them go up against the Bucks next week. That's but gonna why be a do they get match. the first title shot at the Young Bucks? Why do they go? It's this not a title direction? shot. It's a non-title match. It is a non-title. It, I thought they match. said they were getting a shot. I think it's a, just a shot to face the Young Bucks. And I think it's a non. Uh, I think it's a non-title match because okay. these guys just showed up on AEW and they're making right. their like their dynamite debut. They've been on Dark two weeks, and this is like the next big tag team from what I heard. These guys are fantastic to watch. I highly suggest you guys look up this on Dark on the. On the YouTube channel, go back and look at their past two matches. They just got a win last week over some random jobber tag team, and they looked really good doing it. So I'm very excited to see these two match up. Well, you've got that. In addition to, we get an NWA Women's Championship match. Thunder Rose is getting a rematch this week Heck against yeah. Serena Deeb. You think Thunder Rose is getting it back? I wouldn't be surprised if she did. But I'm not going to say she's gonna because I really don't know. I don't think Serena. I think Serena might get a little bit more time with the belt, but I would love to see Thunder Rosa get back just so that Serena probably can... So I don't know if she got signed by AEW just yet. Who, Serena? Yeah. I don't Serena's think... been signed. She's... Yeah, so yeah, I she think She is that... all elite. So I think that she will... I think she could drop the title just so Thunder Rosa could go back to NWA. And... Here's here's the interesting thing for me. It's, where will this... How far is this NWA-AEW relationship going to go? Because we've seen... Now, the NWA Women's Championship has been a part of it. Uh, with Thunder Rosa coming in, because we, we've talked about it at nauseum about how weak the women's division 
for just AEW by itself is, or at least the way it's been presented. And Thunder Rosa coming in was a challenge for her, uh, for Sheeta as women's champion that she really needed. And now we've seen Thunder Rosa be a part of the show multiple times. We've seen now Serena Deeb as women's champion defend that title on or, or challenge for the title on Dynamite. She won it on Primetime Live UWN, uh, their show, uh, but then come back, defend it her, for her ne- very next night. I can't remember who she faced in that match, but then. It was uh, the Russian girl. That's right. Yeah, it was um, legit. Um, what's her name? Layla she, something or something like that? I don't know. I don't remember her name. Yeah, she was um, on Dark. That's how memorable she, she was. Had a, she had a match on Dark the week before, and then right. she then she just got a title shot against Serena Deeb. But she did, she did look pretty good. I, I will say this. She did look good. Right. And then, okay, from there you've got also. Le- uh, Layla Hirsch, I think is her Layla name. Layla Hirsch. There, there you is. go. Got it. Layla Hirsch. And then the Allison K match uh, at full gear as well. And now you're getting the third defense Actually, I can't think technically overall the fourth different time the title's been defended, the NWA Women's title, on AEW television when Thunder Rosa gets the rematch. I think it would be interesting to see if it goes beyond just the women's division for the NWA because they the NWA has the relationship with UWN. But, you know, what is that really doing for NWA? It feels like it's a step down for them, whereas AEW is a way to kind of lift up that championship and bring it back out while NWA is off and not able to do their power television show that was on YouTube and not, you know, doing pay-per-views. They had the Crockett Cup they were supposed to do in April back here in Atlanta, and they didn't get to do that because of COVID. That's the last show, you know, the time period that they were running shows. To me, for them, it would be a bigger deal for them to be on AEW, and that's not just the women's division. You need to get the other champions notified, and the biggest one that stands out to me, NWA World's Champion Nick Aldis, who was a part of the pay-per-view that birthed AEW all in. Cody Rhodes won the NWA World title from, or as Nick would say, the NWA World's Championship uh, from Nick Aldis that night. And then obviously the rematch, Nick got it back. Could we see, because maybe this Cody Shaq thing might happen, might not happen, might take a while. Maybe in the in between, once Cody's done kind of with this little uh, short feud with Taz and with Brian Cage and with Ricky Starks. Maybe we bring in Nick Aldis, and maybe that's where you go with Cody from here. Maybe you go for a Cody-Nick Aldis 3 for the NWA World's Championship. I'm all for that. Mainly it's just Nick Aldis is such a great presence to have on yes. the show itself. The National Treasure himself is just a, he's just a sight to see. But let me tell you this. Cody Rhodes holds that title very dear because that was a title that his dad was very, very well known for. I mean, that's the reason why he went after it all in the first place. Is just because, hey, my dad was really like this. Is, this title was really big for my dad, so this is my chance to hold it. It was such a great honor for him to hold it, and I think it'd be great to see him go for it again. Because just because Cody and Nick Aldis had such a great match the first time, and the second time was just as good, the third one probably could be even better. It could be. Now you could go beyond that. There even there's a reason for Nick Aldis to want to face Cody again, storyline wise. Does it make sense, or could you bring him in? You know, perhaps we head towards this Kenny Omega John Moxley match, which has now been officially announced. What December second is that right? December second. December second episode of Dynamite by far going to be the biggest episode yet because they've never had a world title match of that caliber on AEW television on Dynamite. Maybe they're you know even though we know Kenny's going to get that belt, maybe maybe they're not going to put it on him yet. Maybe this is his first challenge of Moxley. Who knows? Hangman gets involved. Maybe that Hangman Kenny Omega feud ain't over yet. Maybe you go further with them. What if you brought in Nick Aldis and you had NWA World's Champion versus AEW World's Champion? Ooh. Moxley and Aldis. And the thing, the caveat to me that would make it an interesting feud, 
if you watched NWA Power, you know that Nick Aldis was a part of a group called, uh, un, what was it called? <laughs> Strictly Business. Try to say unfinished business. Strictly Business. Nick Aldis, it was the former Bram of Impact Wrestling, um, Thomas Latimer, uh, and also Royce Isaacs, who were former NWA World Tag Champs as the wild cards. You also had Camille uh, Cam- is it Camille? Camille, I think it's Camille. That was uh, the difference maker in that second match with Cody and uh, Nick Aldis there at the NWA 70th, 70th anniversary show, I think it was, uh, right after All In. So you've got a group presence there that could be like much like uh, Moxley had to go through the inner circle to get to Jericho. Maybe you put Moxley up against another stable in, you know, the strictly business stable. If you brought all them in together. As a group, you could really go somewhere with that. That'd be very interesting. But I do think that even Omega and all this would be a great matchup as well if Omega takes the title off of them at, at, on December 2nd. I think that'd be a good little matchup as well because, you know, Kenny Omega does well. He's like the best bout machine. He could get a good match with pretty much anybody. Sure, absolutely. But just it's almost like you wouldn't want to – I don't know that you'd want to – if Omega's just getting established as AEW World Champion at that point, do you want to give him a guy from outside the company? You probably want somebody that's going to help – Again, push him up. Maybe probably be a rematch with Moxley, if anything, uh, if you're headed for Revolution. But uh, speaking of groups and interesting developments that are definitely playing out before our eyes on Dynamite, the ending to last week's show. First of all, Phoenix versus Pentagon. I'm sorry, Penta L. Zero Miero. Zero Miero. You know, I listened to Justin Roberts make the announcement last week, and I had it down for a minute, and now I've done lost. He's still going to be Penta to me. That First of all, Holy cow. Woo. Always an incredible match. The whole thing where they were pulling each other's mask, man, that's thing. Yeah, he like Penta ripped heated. his mask clean off almost. Yeah. You and almost that, got like, to see the face. I think it was Excalibur who said that uh, that's a disqualification in Mexico, but not here. So they kept going. But yeah, they, uh, he was like, it kind of looked like, it kind of reminds me of when like, they tried to take Rey Mysterio's mask off all the time, but. I never see it rip it off. That's just, that was just a whole nother level. Yeah, right there. I, w- I wondered if maybe the mask wasn't supposed to quite come off like that. It wasn't supposed to rip, and it was by an accident. I don't know if that says the mask is really cheap. I, I don't know. But what was interesting though from that was if you listen, if you watch the match and you listen to the commentary, definitely the leader of this family group with Eddie Kingston, along with Penta and and with Phoenix and the Butcher and the Blade. Kingston definitely favoring Pinta in that, and it seemed like he was trying to put a, you know, like he's bitter because he didn't win the title match. Now he's trying to drive a wedge between the two brothers. At, at, for what reason? Makes no sense. But while that's all going on, we finally get the return to AEW of the bastard. Yeah, that was mean of me to say. I'm sorry. He calls himself that. Pack. He's back. By the way, the last time we saw him, he was in a group called the Death Triangle with Pinta. And Ray Phoenix, now it looks like we're headed for Eddie Kingston Peck. I've said this multiple times on the show. I did not like that threesome, honestly, because it made the Lucha Bros look like uh like they're la- like Pack's lackeys, and they they're too good for that. I just thought that was just a bad. That was not a very good idea, and I'm glad that's not a thing anymore. But yeah, I'm very interested to see why Pack is coming after Eddie Kingston because that seems pretty much out of nowhere to me. Because Pack Eddie Kingston wasn't even in the company when Pack was around. And then when he left. So Eddie Kingston probably just got in a company. And Pac has probably been watching from home. He said he was in isolation the whole time. Right. And I'm just curious to see what, what's going to happen here. Like, is, is, because he called Phoenix dead weight, is what Eddie Kingston called him. Right. He said he was dead weight to him. Which is funny considering that 
A few weeks ago during the Eliminator Tournament, Phoenix actually beat Penta. Was the one that won to move on to the tournament, but he got quote you know hurt. I, I, he actually did get injured. He though. actually it did was, get that's right. That was a legit injury. injury. Yeah, you're right. Well, I mean, obviously the basis of the feud is the fact that Pac sitting at home watching Eddie Kingston, you know, form this group with the two guys that he was just aligned with. He's like, hey, I mean, just because I'm stuck for the, as Jr. said, which I thought was perfect. He was at home. He was gone from the company for all the right reasons, and now here he's back. And he wants to know, hey, dude, did you think I wasn't paying attention to the fact that you went and basically poached my my teammates out for your little group? You know, I'm sorry I couldn't be there, but hey, now I'm back and I'm here. To, I'm here to reform my group, and you're in my way. You know, time for me to take you out because apparently you didn't think I'd be paying attention. That's the one thing Jr. does really well is that he covers himself very well with like things that he should, you know, be careful about saying. Like, there's a one time where he botched up the Jack Swagger call. He called him uh, Jake Hager. He's called him Jack. He said Jack Swagger, but he's like, no, uh, Jake has swagger. He, he, he's not. He covers he, himself. He has swagger. He's he's really good at covering himself. So, yeah, I think that was very well said by JR. But, yeah, I think that's a good way of going about it because that's the only really thing that ties pack to Ken, it, Eddie Kingston is the Lucha Bros. So, I'm just curious, like, who's is Pac going to be the babyface in this? Because uh, he hasn't really been much of a babyface since he's been in AEW. He's been that really good psychotic heel. He's really good at that role. We saw that when he was in when he was in WWE as the King of the Cruiserweights. He kind of lost his mind after Enzo took the title off him. He was that psychotic heel. He did that very well. So I think that plays to his strength. But what's he going to do? Is is he going to be a babyface? Or is he just going? What's he going to do as a babyface when he goes after Eddie Kingston? Well. As based on how Eddie Kingston is doing promo wise, clearly he's going to move, without a doubt be the heel here. Um, and that's the thing about AEW. You know, you could position. You know, we had Jericho versus MJF at full gear, both heels, but the fans could pick a side. They picked Jericho's side. It made the match work. You had what felt a little bit like heel versus heel with the Young Bucks and FTR because the way the Young Bucks had been acting out of all out with the super kicks of Tony Schiavone and Marvez and all the things they were doing, but yet, you know, they 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 were the babyface team there, and they probably are still the babyface team. They were just acting a little heelish. But, you know, you could position that where you've got babyface versus babyface, and it works. You could do heel versus heel, and it works because the wrestling is good, and the fan base for AEW respects pretty much anybody you put in those situations on AEW because most of these guys we know can go. They wouldn't be there if they couldn't go. And there's the, the automatic respect that a lot of the uh, AEW fans are going to have on the surface already. But in this situation, man, you see how Eddie plays that little worm, and he's done that before. This ain't the first time that I've seen him do this in a storyline. You go back to Impact Wrestling when he was the, the manager of LAX, Santana and Ortiz of uh, the Inner Circle, that iteration of LAX, where he when Conan was the leader prior to that, he's off with an injury storyline-wise, so Eddie Kingston becomes the manager and starts to weasel his way into that situation before Conan comes back and say, hey, you weren't you weren't supposed to be here anyway. And that led to him being ousted there. He brought in the original LAX. We had a feud there. I think it's something similar here. You know, Pac's back. Hey, dude, this was my group. You could very well see the split here where Eddie's maybe with the Butcher and the Blade, and you've got a, a six-man type feud here because you, then you've got Pac and you've got the de- you know the whole death triangle there with Phoenix and uh, and with uh, Penta as well. The other thing, too, is they've had two matches now on television. Could you split the brothers? They've feuded before. They've feuded in Lucha Underground. They had matches in Impact Wrestling. Do they? Do we like the, do we like the Lucha Bros better together, or do you like them separate? 
I kind of like them better together, honestly, just because they feed off each other so well. They always give great right. matches. But I'm very interested to see how they'll do it, in AEW at least, how they will feud together. Because I can see definitely see Phoenix teaming up with Penta and Penta teaming up with um, with uh, Kingston. Because right. Kingston has like, been touting how Penta is his best friend. He's right, his best yeah. friend forever. You know, I could definitely see like a good little tag feud going on there, and I think that's definitely a good direction to go with it. Yeah, so we'll see where they go. It could be good. I mean, I know it's going to be good. The one thing about Pac is that he's got that psychotic character's been good, but he's got you know he can beat somebody up. You know he's got he's a he's built man. He's got the size for for what he can do. Uh, for, he's a shorter, smaller guy, but man, he's ripped to shreds. But can do all that high flying stuff, man. He's fun to watch. And uh, you know he can do the babyface role. He's done it before, and he can do it now with more of a uh, an edge to him that he didn't have when he was that babyface in WWE. So it should be good moving forward to see where that goes. We'll we'll keep an eye on that with Dynamite and NXT this week. Some other things that I took from this weekend, though, we got a had a pretty good weekend of wrestling. We got a big weekend coming up this weekend with Survivor Series. But Impact Wrestling this past Saturday did a uh, Impact Plus special, which they were doing prior to the uh, the pandemic. They were usually having one once per month on the Impact Plus uh, app that they have, which very much like the WWE Network, except you don't get pay-per-views on there. But they only do four of those a year, so it's not really that big of a deal anyway. Um, but they were doing that for the fans that did subscribe. And they had Turning Point, which is the follow-up to Bound for Glory, which long-term, long-time TNA fans will remember that used to be a pay-per-view. They used to have monthly pay-per-views, and that was one of them, and it usually was the follow-up to Bound for Glory. Well, very much so. You had some rematches. You had some new matches. What was interesting to me is typically when they did that pre-pandemic, eh, you didn't get title changes a whole lot. There were, there were a handful of them. Well, this past Saturday, not only did you get one title change, you got two title changes. Deanna Perrazzo regains the Impact Knockouts Championship from Su Young, and the Good Brothers are now Impact Tag Team Champions. Too sweet. They beat the North. That was interesting to me because, obviously, with the women's uh, situation with the Knockouts title, they put the belt on Su Young to make up for the fact that Kylie Ray wasn't there in that unfortunate situation. Uh, I think what I read recently is she was supposed to win there anyway. So they do that just to give the fans kind of a, a big moment with Peraza lo- losing, but... With Sue Young, the the plan moving forward after that, I don't think I think you wanted to get the belt back on Peraza and see where that goes. I didn't expect the Good Brothers to win the titles that soon after the North won them. The North held the belts for over a year before losing them to the Motor City Machine Guns. Now, the Good Brothers have won it just about a month after Bound for Glory. I would have expected to see the North with the heritage, the way they were able to hold those belts before, I would expect them to hold the belts a little bit longer. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. That was a bit of a shock to me, too, because, like, I mean, the Good Brothers were going to win the titles eventually. We both agree on that. Sure, yeah. I was expecting hard to kill the Oh, next yeah, they were definitely going to do that. But, man, so soon, though. The North just had, like, what, a year-long title reign? How long it was, was it? It was over a year. Yeah. And then they, or right just, out of a year. And something you just, like that. And you just, like, give them the titles, and then they drop them, like, just like that. This it doesn't make much sense to me, but I'm not going to complain about it because I like the I like the Good Brothers as champions. Although I will say this, I do think that Deanna Perrazzo was a good choice to have the, have the belt back. I agree, mainly because I just love Deanna Perrazzo as a in general as a wrestler and as right. a and her character, the virtuosa. I just enjoy what I'm seeing out of her. No, she's she's fantastic. She's good in the ring, uh, and the character's good too. Reminds me, it's a lot of Charlotte Flair like to me. It kind of reminds me of that, but. It's that, but more bearable, I would say, because Charlotte Flair just honestly, I just don't really dig her talking because it's <laughs> it sounds she's just not that great on the mic. That's what kills her. 
I I don't think she's bad on the mic, but I don't, I think that she's overrated on the mic. But Big that, time. you could say that a lot for some of the I don't, I some of the women wrestlers in WWE. Yeah, well, I've, there's, I've argued there's some with like my Sasha and Bailey are good on the mic, but just Charlotte just kind of like it sounds like she's like I think Sasha's overrated too. I don't say she's That's overrated. That's an unpopular opinion amongst yeah, the Yeah, I don't think she's overrated. On the I think she's still pretty good on the mic. But yeah, it's just, she's better than Charlotte. Charlotte just kind of... We all know Bailey's bad. <laughs> yeah, she's got Bailey's better. Bailey's so bad. No, here's the thing. with her, Especially with this heel character that she's been portraying. She's so bad. It's so awkward that it's entertaining to me. Like, I think she's so bad now that she's good. It's like, not one of those things. She's not polished. She isn't great. But she's so over the top and trying so hard to be, like, just obnoxious that he, she now entertains me. And, and I actually enjoy it. Uh, and I think, you know, she can go a long way with that. But the one thing I took away from the fact that Impact had the two title changes, you come out of Bound for Glory, well, you had multiple title changes there too, but they don't typically do that with their their monthly specials. But I wonder if they're they're noticing that, you know, one of their main forms of, of income now for as a company, you know, one of the revenue sources, should I say, it's going to be the subscription service. They just revamped it. They have a new uh, a plat- the new presentation of it now. It's actually based, if you go online, they used to have a separate site for it outside of their main website. Now when you go to their website, it basically is Impact Plus now. It's it's all integrated together, kind of like what WWE Network has done with, you know, if you go to WWE.com, you basically can go to WWE Network through the website. It's not like a separate site. So Impact's done that, and I think they maybe have recognized that they need to try to get that subscriber count up if they can. And if you're giving people a reason to subscribe because they know that if they watch these monthly specials, they might see something that will be special. You might see a title change. You might see somebody debut, which is something they weren't. They were almost like special little throwaway events before. And now it's almost like maybe that's why, you know, you very easily could have put the belts on the Good Brothers at Bound for Glory. They were in the four-way match. And Typically, you know, normal booking sense, you would sit there and go, why didn't they do that? If you were going to have the North win the belts, only to drop them to the Good Brothers right away, why wouldn't you just have the Good Brothers win at Bound for Glory? That's the reasoning. You get the title change, you get the payoff for the folks at Bound for Glory, but then you get the folks that subscribe, paid their $7.99 for Impact Plus for this month, that watch Turning Point, they get not one but two title changes. I think that's a good uh, good move for them moving forward because they're not just getting pay-per-view buys now. They're trying to get that subscriber count up for Impact Plus, which, man, I mean, they're not obviously they're not doing live shows. There's no fans there in their crowd at all. They're at a studio. They've got to make more money off of areas they're not getting. Typically, they would get maybe from from ticket sales. They're not getting that. Now you've got to get it from other revenue sources. 100%, man. You're, you're totally correct on that. But I'll tell you, the one thing I do enjoy is that it's like a WWE when they kind of have their pay-per-views before and after WrestleMania. They always have those ones. They have Roadblock on one or Fastlane. And then you have, it's, I think it's the Elimination Chamber normally comes after WrestleMania. Or um, what's the... No, normally it's before you get Extreme Rules Extreme or Rules, yeah. Payback or something like Backlash after WrestleMania. Yeah, you get those at Pay-Per-View after WrestleMania. Nobody expects a title change, so nobody really watches them very much. You don't really see that. But now Impact has found a way to kind of draw interest into that post-massive um, main event kind of kind of pay-per-view it kind of draws people in and people are really starting to respond like say hey because like you can see like the main event is going to be the main championship and then you're going to think why am I going to watch this we all know that he's not going to lose the title now but then you kind of get that swerve and you're thinking oh snap maybe we'll do this more often and I think that's a really good I agree with you that's a very good move on their part absolutely and other uh, another company kind of making some waves this week I have to ask you man are you are you watching more than just Dynamite and NXT this Wednesday? Are you watching something else too? Because well, guess what's back? 
MLW. I did make plans to watch it when it came back, so I'm right there with you. The restart, the first episode of it, I don't know what it's going to look like. They were supposedly going to have a small, maybe you know, like 50, maybe 100 fans or something like that that were going to be pre-screened and brought in for these tapings, so it might feel different. I know the presentation is supposed to be different, but they're, they're coming back in a big way because they've got multiple platforms that you can watch it on. If you have if you have Fubu TV or Fubo TV rather uh, as your subscription service, if you don't do traditional cable, Sports Network, the Fubo Sports Network, they're live there every every Wednesday now, moving forward, seven p.m. and then a replay at ten. But they're also going to be on YouTube streaming live. That's the big one for me because that worked really well for NWA because that's where they presented theirs. That's where Dark airs. Everybody can get YouTube. You can get it on your phone, on your uh, you know streaming device, Roku, Apple TV. Fire Stick, any of those on your computer, uh, to me, man, it'll be really easy to just sit in front of the TV, throw up YouTube, watch that at 7 o'clock, getting ready for Dynamite and, and NXT, and then just make it a whole wrestling night, man. Yeah, hell, if you could just even like have it on your laptop, on your lap, you just watch them both at the same time. Like, have your laptop right here, right. and then like have AEW on the TV. You can just watch them both. I mean, honestly, YouTube's the best way to go about it, and I think that's a good yep. way to get some shows out there. Mm-hmm. AEW has proven, like, they were the, I think they were the first ones to do it, like, like may have, like, their own kind of show on YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. I think the, um, the NWA and NWA, Dark debuted at the pretty much the same time. Yeah, they kind of, like, right around the same time. Yeah, AEW Dark was a, was a I think it was a brilliant very idea. Very smart idea. It was a brilliant point. idea, because you have all these matches. WWE has Dark matches all the time, but right. they never show them. Now, AEW is like, hey, we have all these extra matches. Let's put them on YouTube and I can make a whole show out of it. Right. Well, and you're and, following the format that WWE's done for years where if you come to one of our TV tapings, you're not just getting the two hours of SmackDown. You're the three hours of Raw. Hey, you're getting a few matches before for main event. Or you're getting, well, if you go to SmackDown, you're getting 205 Live or whatever it may be. Or you hit, Back in the day, you had Velocity. You had Heat. Well, you know, it made sense. Dynamite's only two hours. Well, you know, get the fans some more matches prior to that. Well, we're going to have dark matches prior to it. Why don't we turn that into a TV show and kind of make a, a wink and a nod to fans? We'll call it dark because it's the dark matches, and we'll put it on YouTube. It was a great idea. My only complaint with it now, it's almost too long of a show. It's, it's like, like an two, hour it's and a, a half. It's two hours, actually. It's up I to, love it's it. You're having hours. like 13 matches, and they're all squash matches. How many can you watch? I mean, there's a lot to that, but it was a genius concept on their part. It put the product out there to the fans that maybe didn't know they were on TNT. They stumbled upon it on YouTube. It was a great move on their part, just like it's a great move on MLW's part to be on there in addition to their other, uh, they're on a couple of uh, streaming, uh, other streaming services as well. Uh, as well, They've been on BN Sports uh, on your cable providers for the last several years with Fusion. So they'll be back on Wednesday. Their main event, Jacob Fatu, the NWA, or the, rather the MLW World Champion, defending against Davey Boy Smith Jr., Harry oh, Smith. Boy. That should be interesting. They also have another middleweight title match, too, as well. So I'm going to be interested to see just what the presentation, what they come out with. But they're outside of NWA, which they're kind of still out there. MLW is the last one to come back. Ring of Honor's been back. Impact's obviously never went away. Neither did WWE or AEW. MLW is really the last one of those American-based promotions that were really getting rolling pre-pandemic to come back. So it's going to be fun to see what they've got going. But it's a big week for wrestling this weekend. It's one of the tentpole events of WWE. Normally, we don't get into a whole lot of WWE talk, but we might as well. we got Survivor Series weekend coming up. Are you excited for Survivor Series? Eh, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not yeah. like... I think um, a lot of people feel that same way. I'm not dreading it, but at the same time, I'm kind of like... I hope eh, you're not, not dreading it. Oh, of course not. But, you know, at the same <laughs> time, I'm kind of like, 
no, nah, I'm not really feeling it. You know, it's not as exciting. I don't think they're feeling it either. I think that's the problem. Yeah, that's the yeah. It's just Survivor Series is supposed to be bigger than it is right now. Yeah. Because, and one thing I noticed that they've done with their pay-per-views is like they do less subtitles on their pay-per-views. Right. I guess makes sense because like there's the horror show at Extreme Rules. There was Gold Rush at um cha- Addy at Night of um, Champions Night of Champions, or Clash, uh, Clash Clash Champions. Champions. Yeah, Night of Champions sounds better honestly. Like Gold Rush. There now it's like the best of the best Survivor Survivor Series best of the best. Yeah, and their hell in a cell was um, I can't remember what theirs was. Theirs was it was something weird. Yeah, it had it had a, a different name too. I forget what it was, but yeah, I don't know why they started. The SummerSlam was uh, what was SummerSlam? That was the uh, you'll never see it coming. Yeah, you'll never see it coming. That's yeah, right. Yeah, which I mean, we didn't see it coming. They paid that off. Yeah. I'll give them that for once. They paid something off, but yeah. yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit on the radio show this past week. How it's just are you really excited about Survivor Series? And it's kind of like, I mean, it's Survivor Series, but. It's just nothing. It's the same tired concept they've done ever since they rebrought. They brought the brand extension back. It's been, you know, the brand warfare, Raw versus SmackDown, Champion versus Champion. I just wish they would do something a little different. I mean, for one, I don't like that the two Survivor Series elimination matches are kind of marginalized. They're not. They don't feel special. They don't feel big because you're more focused on you got the two. You know, you got Roman versus what could be Randy Orton or Drew McIntyre. It's going to be Randy Orton, spoiler alert. Yeah, most likely going to be Randy Orton. I've, uh, yeah, I read an article online that saying it was going to be Randy Orton. So oh, I'm so kinda... glad that you read something on the internet, which means it absolutely has to be true. There was, there was like rumors of plans that Randy Orton's going to hold on to the title, and I think that he is. I don't I think it's probably be, will, but, you know, sources have been wrong before. I'm just saying. But either way, I mean, instead of putting those two in a Survivor Series elimination match, You've got them going head to head, and instead of you know putting you know Oscar and Sasha Banks in the women's one, you've got you know the rest of the women's roster kind of involved in that. They just don't feel important when that is the the namesake of the pay per view, and I, I just I don't know. I it's got to the point now where I lo- you know it's got the heritage, it's got the history, and I love the Survivor Series concept. But I think instead of seeing Raw versus SmackDown, I'd rather see give me a Raw Survivor Series elimination match. Give me a SmackDown Survivor Series elimination match that involves feuds. Yes. You know, give me, give me the Hurt Business versus Retribution in a Survivor Series elimination match. Problem is, we already saw that on Raw. Exactly. You should have gave that to me at Survivor Series instead of at on Raw. Give me uh, the the give me Roman Uso and somebody else. You know, against I don't know Daniel Bryan, Kevin Owens, whatever on SmackDown. You got options. You know, do a tag team. I, I, give me. Make the show around it's Survivor Series. The concept is, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, five, five, I forget the five old on tag. Five. It's five on well, five. Well, no, there was a whole tagline back in the eighties right. when it first. Uh, it was oh, like, what was it? Uh, teams of five strive to survive. Wow. That's what it was okay. called. That was like the early because that's what the show was based around. It was like four matches that were they were five on five Survivor Series or four on four Survivor Series elimination matches. And that was it. That was what the show was. It was multiple Survivor Series elimination matches. You would have a tag team one with like multiple tag teams. You would have uh, kind of a lower tier one with mid-card wrestlers. And then you would have two kind of high-level ones. Go back to that. Make it, especially in this era where you're not, especially now, you're not even drawing an audience to, to, to see this event right now because of COVID. You could literally do anything you want to, just like some of the folks that I think got pushes this year because there wasn't a crowd there to crap on it, basically. No offense to Apollo Crews. He never got over on the main roster prior to now. I don't know that he would have gotten over if he had actually had the crowd there to cheer a boom. I think he benefited a lot 
from a lack of an audience. I'm not saying he didn't have the talent to get over. He was just unfortunately positioned when he got called up originally to not do anything special, and the fans just stopped caring. And I don't know that you could have made them care. And that's you find yourself in that situation where you literally can book kind of any pay per view you want, any style you want. Guess what? People are still going to be on the video board behind it. You can still put fake crowd noise in there. You could have done, you know, four or five Survivor Series elimination matches and actually done a true Survivor Series pay per view. And I think that's what I would like a little bit more. I agree with you, man. It just doesn't feel like you know. I I like the brand supremacy battle thing, but. Don't do that every year, you know? I mean, like, right. do it once, twice, three times, sure. But, you know, at, yeah, bring back those old matches. Like, you know, DX going up against um, the, the Spirit Squad on Survivor Series. Those kind of groups going up against right. each other. You know, like, there's one, you know, it was Team Foley versus Team Ziggler or Team Seth versus Team John Cena or what. You know, bring those kind of matches back. You know, I, I just enjoy seeing, like, the randomness of, like, like, here's my team. Here are my guys. Right. And then the other guy comes out, okay, well, here are my guys. Well, you, know, you can do it multiple ways, too, where they would take somebody would be, all right, your captain, go find four teammates. Or you would take, you know, if you had uh, four or five main singles feuds on a brand, you would take each guy on each side of that feud and put them on opposite teams. Well, what an easy concept. It's not that hard. Just do that. It's It doesn't have to be this convoluted all right it's automatic just plug them in here we go it's just like they've done the same thing with you know pay-per-views like hell in a cell and and to some degree elimination chamber too where it's like there's no build to it it's just all right it's that time of year what let's just throw people in there and give them a show i mean it's just no heart to it and i think that's why a lot of fans have just kind of lost interest in survivor series because i think i think they have too i think the company has and they just kind of go through the motions to give fans the pay-per-view every year yeah, I mean, it's just one of those pay-per-views that, like, you know, everybody looks forward to every year, right. but at the same time, you just got to make it worth their time because, right. you know, you kind of get pay-per-views like you get SummerSlam, you get WrestleMania, you get Survivor mm-hmm. Series, you get Hell in a Cell sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of you got that draw, the match itself, but then you overdo it. You over, you get too many of the, too much of, you got like, what, we had three Hell in a Cell matches this year. Yeah, that's too many. That's too many. I also don't, you need, the Hell in a Cell, you killed that gimmick. By the way, oh, you it destroyed used to be it. destroyed. That, it. That was the build up to the match required the Hell in a Cell, or the feud required Hell in a Cell because it got so heated, or you know, it just you couldn't contain them. They were fighting all over the arena. It's just like the steel cage concept, yeah. you know. You killed the concept by having a pay per view, and I'm not saying you've done that with Survivor Series because you don't get those throughout the year. So to me, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was never a thing where you built up to an elimination match. That was a tent pole gimmick tape pay per view. But you've kind of negated it by having matches like, you know, Elimination Chamber be a, a, a yearly pay-per-view. And by doing that with Hell in a Cell and Money in the Bank, and it's like, it, it, it's one of those tentpole events, but it doesn't feel special anymore. I totally agree with you, man. It's just, it's just one of those watered-down things that I think that WWE has just taken too far and they kind of killed. Yep. You know, I just hope that, you know, when AEW comes up with a concept like this, when they eventually roll out Blood and Guts, I just hope that they don't go down the same path, but I don't think they will since they probably they probably will learn from their mistakes. Oh, I think they will. They, I don't think that's a, a show that they would do on a regular. I think that's just, I think Cody of all people recognizes. Whereas, you know, like the War Games concept back in the day when it was the Match Beyond, when it was the Horsemen and all them, that match was not done every year because it was oh well you know it's this pay per view it's got to be at this pay per view we have to have a War Games match. I mean, WCW eventually did that with Fall Brawl War Games, but 
you know, the version that we got in the 80s when it was great, when everybody looked forward to it, was when the ho- the feud with the horsemen and somebody got heated and it required it. So I know Cody has an appreciation for that, so we'll see kind of what they do once they're able to do Blood and Guts, which I know they want to save that for when they can really have a bigger arena. That's going to be – I'll tell you what, when they first announced it, back when it was supposed to be New Jersey, right. when, they, when you heard it was only going to be Surrender or Knockout or whatever the heck it was – which is man. what the War Games match used to be. Oh yeah, but man, this just sounds awesome. I just, I'm just, I just, man, just bring me the match already. I am stoked to see like the Inner Circle versus the Elite. That was going to be fantastic. But man, I'm just so disappointed that COVID had to ruin that for us. Yeah, at least we got the stadium, uh, the, the battle in the what was the it? The stadium stampede. Stadium stampede. That was that, fun. That was very entertaining. That was fun. And they found a way to still do a blow off match for that feud. So that was good. But. I loved how Hangman just rode out on the horse. And then, oh, that uh, was took fantastic. Out, took out Sammy Guevara. That was fantastic. That I love was it funny. when he's on the horse, man. It's great. Like when the interest against Jericho. He, he just had the bandana over his face. Yep. And that is Sammy just man. like, had said, said, uh, it was um, Sammy Guevara. He just stares. He's like, oh crap. And just Takes off the poor running. guy. He got ran over with a golf cart. Then he gets run over with a horse. <laughs> oh the guy God. just then he gets tossed well, off the top think, of the stadium. I think what would have been funnier is if he lassoed him around his ankles <laughs> and then just took off with him, just dragged him across the field. Oh man! Or when uh, when the young bucks did the did the Northern Lights suplexes down the down the field. Oh, that was and great. And then the ref threw the flag for us for excessive celebration. Right. And they just super kicked his head off. <laughs> That was that was one of the most entertaining things I've seen in a while. It's so. a Jericho concept, man. What do you expect? Oh, of course it was. So it was good stuff. All right. Well, we've got to land the plane at some point here. I think we're going to do it this week. Which it's funny because I've never actually been on a plane, so I don't know why I would be You've landing. You've never a been plane. on an airplane. I've never, I've never flown in my life. Man, dude, that's that's. I'm that, a road trip the, kind of guy, so when I go somewhere, I like to drive. Well, fair, but even so, I mean, I thought you'd be on a plane at your age at least once. No, I never have. Wow, it's never really city, had a in, desire in a, to. In a city like Atlanta, who has like one of the the main airports in the entire country. Wow, that's I've that's, never I've never stepped foot inside Hartsville Jackson Airport. That is a stunning revelation right there. I've dropped people off at the airport, but I've never actually been inside because I've Man. never had a reason to. So anyway, that's gonna end it for this week's uh, marathon edition of the Other Guys Podcast. We went down a lot of different roads, talking NXT, talking AEW, uh, a little preview there for Survivor Series, just our thoughts on that and all that good stuff. But that'll wrap it up for us here. Remember, you can always tune in each and every week. Uh, uh, We'll have a little break for Thanksgiving coming up, but uh, this Thursday on Extra 106.3, it's the live radio edition of The Finishing Moon. Myself, Road Dog Adam Gillespie, assuming he's available and he's not got other contractual duties because he is a very busy man and in demand. But either way, if not, then it'll be me and Big John bringing it to you. Hopefully it'll be all three of us here on the live show at 7, 8 p.m., Extra 106.3 FM in Atlanta, 12.30 a.m. as well, and online, extra1063.com. This here podcast, if you're listening to it now, make sure you subscribe to us on whatever your popular platform, your uh, podcast platform is, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Stitcher, or just follow us on the uh, Podcast Park website as well. We always post this to our social media page as well, Twitter, at WrestleExtra. You can follow me at Bearded Colwell. You can follow him at... Intern David 680 so check us out on there. We're always commenting on what's going on in the wrestling world, and uh, obviously we'll have more to come on the uh, the radio show this week. And uh, myself and David will be back with another Other Guys podcast in a couple of weeks. We'll take next week off for Thanksgiving. Everybody have a great one out there. Enjoy it. For those of you here in the States, if you're listening to us internationally, whatever you're celebrating this time of the year, enjoy it and be safe out there, folks here in the States. Have a wonderful, blessed Thanksgiving. We'll see you. Come back, and uh, I guess that'll be December when we're back by then. It'll yes, be late sir. November, early. I, you know, I can't keep track of the calendar anymore, but we'll bring it back to you there. The Other Guys Podcast, we'll have a lot to talk about. We'll be previewing 
Believe it or not, when we come back, it'll be time for Kenny Omega, John Moxley. That will be that Wednesday, so we'll be previewing that and everything else that's happening in the wrestling world. So until then, we'll see you next time right here on the Other Guys Podcast. Later, Taters.